<laughs> it begins. <laughs> and that was Robin Bush introducing himself. Uh, this is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, I'm joined, uh, this is actually at my kitchen table. I'm joined by Josh Simmons, who is all the way up from America. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Canada, Josh. Thank you, Robin. Here we are again. Here we are again, about six years later. Six years later, six years ago. Does it, has it been that long? It's been that long. That sounds believable. 2007. Yeah. We're all so old now. I know. <laughs> I'm feeling old. To give a little context, so Josh first appeared in the episode six years ago uh, when he came up to visit the other person here today, Robin Bougie. Um, and I said, hey, let's do an interview. And so Josh came over and Bougie joined and helped me with the interview um, because Jude Bougie is an excellent interviewer in his own right and oh, journalist thank you, thank you. Oh, I got mm. mad respect for your uh, your written skills I wish I could write like modicum of fear capabilities <laughs> now you're just blowing smoke up my butthole <laughs> you're, you're a damn good writer it's true no true I like uh, one of the cinema sewer launches I was talking I forget his name the friend of yours that teaches it UBC, maybe it's better we don't say his name. <laughs> He's a friend of yours and he teaches. Uh, and both of us were like talking about just how great a writer you are. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's great. We like you, Bougie. And Started s- off with the love. <laughs> the love. Going downhill from here. <laughs> Dive into the filth. Yeah, that's going to get awkward. Um, and so Josh is back again visiting Robin. Um, enjoying the wonderful very rare Vancouver lightning storms last night yes we only get them once every two years hmm. I make Josh sleep on my balcony as a form of punishment for all that he's done wrong in his life I enjoy that treatment <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, why I come up and uh, unfortunately I, I couldn't exact that punishment last night because the rain came in sideways in a really weird way all the more reason I should have stopped that's true I can't, I'm not that cruel I'm not that cruel <laughs> No, actually, that's a lie. I can't seem to make him not sleep on the balcony. It's, he's got a weird thing about wanting to sleep outdoors. Yeah, well, I drive up for hours and hours to sleep on your balcony and watch porn with you. Like, <laughs> I come to another country just to watch porn with the boogeyman, but it's uh, it's well worth it. Mm. I've heard stories of you actually turning people's movies off and putting porn on. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, you trying to bait me? I can't watch anything but porn. <laughs> I just want you know, do, do you? Are you serious? Yeah, I've heard a story. That I turned someone's movie off and put porn on? Yeah. Was it Robin's house? No. Huh. You're going to have to give me some names or some context, because, well, that very well could have happened. I have no idea. It's okay. Yeah. You can tell me after. <laughs> it was in Portland. Okay. Hmm. Well, a lot of things have happened. I, you'd have to give me more details. <laughs> Mysteries. Um, maybe that was an awkward way to start an interview. Maybe I shouldn't have asked that. Yeah, you should have waited to uh, get my uh, get me on your side first. Yeah, that's how it works. I'm make trust. So now you don't trust me. <laughs> um, now, Josh's latest book is, uh, I guess your latest thing is Habit from the fine young gentleman. Uh, oily Comics, yes, out of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um, and then also you have your latest chapter of, or I guess the latest chapters in that, yeah, Jessica Farm, the latest Jessica Farm chapter, the White Rhinoceros work, yep, and last year you had Furry Trap, 
Yeah. When did that come out earlier this year? That was last spring from Fantagraphics, 2012. There we go. Yeah. My memory does That was a great book. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Oh, well, you you published a couple of the stories. But it was great. Seeing, it was great seeing some of the ones that I that I'd never seen in color. Being, you know. mm-hmm. That was neat. And then there was a bunch of stuff in there that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, which was also great. And I just love the overall tone of the thing. It's just so dark and and. Yeah, well, that was, uh, you know, I put them together so it would kind of work as a whole. You know, it hopefully. does feel like it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the tone is like basically so. I put the most like harsh stories that I've done into that one book, you know. So if that's the only book someone's read by me, then it's not like the whole picture, but it is like all the harshest stuff is in one place mm-hmm. with that with that book. So how much other stuff do you have that came out from that time? Like I think it was what 2006 to 2012 it said. Uh well, when I came up here House had come out. So we talked about that. Yeah. And then 2008, Jessica Farm came out. And then um, the White Rhinoceros was in Moam, I think, starting in 2010. And I think that's that's been it. Okay. Yeah. So there was kind of like not a lot of stuff after Jessica Farm came out. It's interesting. You you have these. On longer ongoing stories with Jessica Farm and the White Rhinoceros going on, um, but then um, Furry Traps all little short stories. Do you kind of do those little short stories to keep you going while working on these longer epics? I think of the short stories and the Furry Trap more as like the 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 real work or the main stories. And Jessica Farm is like a side thing, you know, because Jessica Farm is definitely like I don't take as much time with it because um, it's definitely not like my A-game stuff because because I kind of can't afford to put that much time into it. And it's the kind of thing I hope later on, like when I have more time in general, as it goes on, that I'll be able to do more accomplished pages for it. But I actually think of like the stories in the furry trap as like the stuff I put the most into. Can you explain the, the concept behind the Jessica Farm thing for people who don't know? Jessica Farm, I started drawing in January of 2000, and I'm going to draw it until December of 2049. So I'm going to create a comic over 50 years, which will be 600 pages when it's done. And it's, in a way, kind of like a kindergarten version of Cerebus, in that like he was doing like a full 20-page comic every month, like beautifully realized. And uh, I'm just doing like a, a somewhat dashed-off single page a month because I want it like I said to be like a side thing while I'm working on this stuff that that is more you know a little more refined I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that somebody's going to be able to look at the first page of that and then the last page of that and it's going to look like two different artists drew it yeah it, it might I, the style hasn't yeah it probably will it over probably the course will. of 50 think about years that, that yeah. amount of time right like you're not going to be the same artist so far it's like 13 years in though yeah at this point I mean that's a pretty good chunk of time I've already seen because I read them all this morning and I've seen already transitions where you went through like say phase where you did a lot of cross hatching mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now you're not really doing that same amount of cross hatching yeah I think my style's getting more pared down in general and you can kind of see that and, and that was part of the point of it like I wanted it to be a a single story that you could read fairly quickly which um, 
you know, you're reading it and it's just like years are passing of uh, the actual creation of them. And for that to somehow like inform the work. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's kind of like um, an evolving time capsule. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so I'm still going on it. 2016, the next volume will be out. So every eight years, we'll put a book out. And Fanographics has agreed to do it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> it's still a ways off, so we haven't signed anything on that yet. <laughs> um, I guess at a certain point you'll have to be talking Conrad Groth into doing it. Groth sure, he'll take over, right? <laughs> he'll be the chief. <laughs> it makes sense. Now, one of the things I was thinking about is your work, it's uncomfortable. And maybe this is too pedestrian and asked a question bougie can slap me if it is but i'm curious what when you're reading something when you're watching films what makes you uncomfortable pretty much all the stuff i write about makes me uncomfortable you know uh and bougie and i were kind of talking about this this morning because we both kind of deal with similar subject matter what makes me uncomfortable yeah like that's why i do the stuff i do because it's like it's kind of stuff that disturbs me and I just feel compelled to do stories about it. Um, yeah. Do you find yourself writing for yourself more than writing for any kind of particular audience? Yeah, I mean, it's for myself, but I do try to make it very accessible. I try to make it, for one thing, very easy to read um, and fairly like structured so it works as a story so it's it's i want it to be like satisfying on its own terms as a story like it's not necessarily going to be like the hero's journey or something like that but it's uh i do want it to be like each story to be like a satisfying little read yeah i'm wondering like what comes first for you then the the shocking like the brutal action in the story or the story itself it's usually like I see moments like with the the bat hero story. Mm-hmm. I saw like the mouth thing first, mm-hmm. and that's where he has a stamp that pulls off. Yeah, his lip, the person's lips, and the criminals, the bad people, in a nice circle. Yeah, because that's what you know. That's what should be done. Um, I kind of felt that reading that story that that was what kind of came yeah. first. You do, you do. The reader does get a feeling of that. Mm-hmm. That there's obviously something because that's such a unique I don't know I'd never seen that before good <laughs> clearly that's something that's that's you know I mean that's what I try to do like comics are so much time and work like I try to do things that you haven't seen before or mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen before you know that's probably one of the criteria for doing a story if you're going to put that much time into it, it might as well be something um, but yeah like so I get specific moments like that one from the bat story and then I just kind of think about it more and combine it with other moments I might be thinking of and then yeah put it together and try to make it like a satisfying little whole had you looked up like past punish like physical mutilations as punishment because I know like say in the middle ages um they done things like they chop off part of someone's ear or like put a hole through their face, like mm-hmm. through their cheek or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, one thing, you know, I I didn't for that, but almost every 
the story is kind of based off something true that I did read at some point. You know, it's so like the stuff in house with the underwater buildings was because I lived in New Orleans and I was constantly hearing about like if the water flooded. So it's almost always, and the new story in Habit where the tidal wave story, the mm -hmm. first one was based off the, the big tidal wave in 2005 where like a quarter million people died in Southeast Asia yeah. and reading about um, specifically like that the water was filled with debris so it would just like chop people up to shreds and that I that just like stuck with me and it was just like such a horrifying idea that mm. uh being drowning and getting chopped up at the same time yeah it just got like flayed to bits yeah so and that was 2005 and then I got the idea for the story like earlier this year so that was eight years later so you just I don't know things just go in and you don't know why or when but like years later sometimes you just feel compelled to do a story about it I was watching um they posted footage of like 45 minutes of the buildup of the water coming into this town in Japan it's interesting to just see how like you see come in or go out the water levels go down mm -hmm. and you just see the buildup of the water going up and up and up and just like bit by bit things just start falling aside and just it's frightening yeah <laughs> it's terrifying yeah I mean just the idea that a quarter million people died like mm -hmm. basically all at once in that one moment it's just unbelievable can't even get your head around that and that is in the story like the thing where it would like a wave would go in and then it would go way out and then another one would come in so i had that happen in that story tell me about the considerations you make when doing um exceptionally graphic work like what do you keep in mind of how you want to portray uh well I guess I just want to, you know, I mean, I'm just communicating the thing that came to me, whatever's in my head, but I do have certain, like, there is like certain, there are kind of like certain lines or there's like, uh, almost I would say ethically, which I don't think is quite appropriate. And two examples would be like in the furry trap, there's a lot of sexual violence, but I never show a woman or a child getting attacked even though that kind of happens off panel. <clears throat> I don't show it because it, it's like, feels like it would be unfair or it's too loaded. And another example is with the white rhinoceros, uh, which my, my friend Sean is writing. Like we talked about it early on and we agreed. So that one just explains like a racial wonderland where all the creatures are racial slurs. Yeah. And we agreed not to use the N-bomb because it's just too, it's too heavy, it's too loaded. Even though it's like equal opportunity kind of it can you could say it kind of works as satire but there's just some things that are just a little too much you know i was actually going to ask you about that like how much i mean that that's directly related to this but like how much of an issue is self-censorship and how much like where you're taking so much consideration for what the audience or you're almost like where you're second guessing the audience's reaction before you make the, the, the product it's actually not i can it's not self-censorship or like i don't worry about the audience at all mm -hmm. and i only realized that about the furry trap that i had kept from showing certain things until afterwards mm -hmm. because when i was making it it's so like intuitive but looking back on it i just sort of somehow i knew that even maybe if it was just for my own sake um some things were just a little too much 
or just inappropriate because you like my stories are kind of alienating as it is mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily want to alienate people I'm just sort of doing what I'm compelled to do um, but I guess maybe on some level I do know like it's it, it would be too much but yeah, it's but too much if... for me because that's the thing like I do things about things that are disturbing to me but right that's there's just like a certain amount of ugliness that i and i don't think anything is out of bounds either Mm -hmm. it's all about context and how you do it right you know
So, I was thinking about um, Crossed, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the wonderful Avatar comic where. Yes. Have you read it, Bouge? Uh, just a little bit, not enough to have an opinion. It's uh, basically the idea is uh, it's like a zombie type thing, but instead of people becoming zombies, they become people reduced down to their most primitive sexual proclivities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it's kind of amazing. Some of it's god awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking the context and the comparisons with your work, um, especially the one story in Furry Trap where it's all about the suspense and the usage of like not showing things. The last story, yeah, yeah, and that and that one really got me thinking of like that that kind of contrast between the two because I've I got a lot more uncomfortable by your by your story because it just you, you just kind of it normalized it. Mm-hmm. In a way, just like mm. okay, this is just too real in some weird attitude that's very unreal. Yeah, um, there's enough in there that doesn't make it feel like fabulous. Well, I think like uh, I think compared to Crossed, like there's uh, some of the reactions to the furry trap. Like I've seen are that like people focus on the kind of cross elements of it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot more going on. You know, like, it's not just that sort of super explicit horror. Like, I'm also very good at just sort of, like, tension buildup. And, yeah. And there's also a lot of kind of sensitivity or, I think, vulnerability in it, which I think is what makes, like, the brutal elements more effective than something like Crossed. Yeah. And I read Crossed. Like, I think it's kind of a, a, a junky, fun comic to read generally and some of it is really good like the garth ennis stuff is definitely a little more quality but it's all kind of like candy fun to read but it's also you know not what i'm doing i was actually thinking if i was to describe my stuff in kind of asshole hollywood speak it's sort of like where john porcelino and crossed meet or come together and that (laughs) might not make sense to anyone but me but (laughs) if you mix them together that's what you get that's what i'm doing I kind of love that. <laughs> John Porcelino did a zombie comic. Um, yeah. Rape zombie comic. Rape zombie comic. <laughs> it's funny, though, because you start the book out with just the most graphic story. Right. The ridiculous graphic story. Right, yeah. I mean, there is, like... So part of the what, what I'm doing is sort of like... Um, it's sort of like making violence effective again um and because i think the way violence is portrayed a lot in movies like pg-13 movies a lot of them like the batman movies or superman or whatever is like kind of numbing and it doesn't really show how awful it can be Mm -hmm. so it's sort of like this nudge nudge thing like oh you like violence really or you think it's funny you know let's let's go all the way with it and see just how funny it can be until it's awful again and then maybe it is funny too at that point as well but um starting the story the book off with that story was sort of like i was daring people to uh to kind of sell me short right away yeah you know or to like dismiss it so and i that has happened with some people but it just felt like the right story to start it with like to the right tone somehow even though it was just like in a way, the simplest story and the gnarliest story. It's your earliest story in the book, too, right? Yeah. Yep. Because I don't feel like you would do that story again. 
No, definitely not. No. I'm doing stories more like Demonwood now, where it's it's actually more about the characters, <clears throat> and there's very li- very little violence and and graphic stuff. And it really is more about, like, kind of old-school suspense and, yeah. Was House that kind of, that change for you? Kind of a demarcation of... So House it took, like, three years, and the only story I did in the middle of that was that In the Land of Magic story. So it was kind of like a... That story is, like, the perfect bridge between my older stuff, like the happy, more in-your-face stuff and more explicit stuff, but then also just taking the time to really, like build this world and and you know like spending enough time there that you really get a feel for what's happening you know now you've recently started doing film too you did the uh the chip commercial yep and what was the other one the the cult the leader well yeah i've just done these little movies with my friends like just kind of for fun but i had like the same sort of compulsion to make these movies that i feel with comics Mm -hmm. where i get a really clear like image in my head so i have to do it and uh so i did the leader last year and then i've done i've filmed like three little movies this year which i'm going to be putting together and uts the uts commercial was one of them and they're they're just kind of fun because like while there's a lot of similarities with comics in terms of pacing and editing and stuff it's still just like a whole other world like you'd have to dedicate your whole life to film to actually like do it right you know so it's just something i kind of do for fun for now they're pretty well done i mean well they have like would you say they have the same tone as the comics the same kind of feel yeah yeah so that's the leader felt different um not sure what it is that felt different for me maybe it's because there's a lot of people in it or more people than your comics Mm. yeah (laughs) well the furry trap like one of the structural things is so the first like there's the six long stories throughout the book and they're all usually like focused on an individual right but then you get to cockbone and it's a whole family yeah and then demon wood is also kind of it's about an individual but it's about a family so it's sort of like the scope expands a bit as the book goes on but uh yeah the leader had a lot of people in it and that was a really hard thing to coordinate you know like just directing even on the level i was doing it is just is is so much work and and just an unbelievable like task um just kind of like corralling all these maniacs these <laughs> ropes yeah <laughs> directing is like 85 percent wrangling maniacs i think that's pretty much what it is but i don't know any of the technical side of it like i don't know the only reason i can do it is because the technology is at a point where someone who knows nothing about cameras or film or lighting can make something that looks decent it's quite amazing you can just use an slr and do something with that yeah yeah so the next one's a comedy though i'll probably finish it up with uh my niece in the next couple months exciting yeah do you get a catharsis from your work catharsis that's the word that comes up a lot doesn't it does it yeah well with this this kind of work yeah um I suppose there's 
some relief that comes from it, I guess. No, it's more like this loop that just keeps going. I wonder how much is it um, byproducting of kind of what you've been exposed to over time. And exposed is a bad word. Exposed makes it sound like some guy stood in front of you and showed you his junk and said, I do just... a comic about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like just kind of what you've taken in as experiences, as cultures, because when you spent your time with like carnival the circus yeah yeah um yeah so you mean in terms of art or uh, culture or in terms of or both life experiences yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's kind of a wide milieu yeah it's definitely both you know i mean the circus that was some pretty those are some nutty days and the stuff i like tends to be you know kind of horror exploitation i mean i've I've gotten, I think I can kind of articulate what I do better now than I ever have because of when the book came out and some of the reactions I saw to it, which is like, you know, I'm just kind of giving my perspective. Like, it's a very personal kind of, it is very autobiographical, like emotionally at the very, at least, but the sort of alphabet or building blocks I'm using are like horror or exploitation or maybe porn to some degree. You know, it's, it's not, um... Yeah, but it is very, it's it's very, like, personally meaningful work, but it's, like, abstract, too. And I do want it to be entertaining and funny at the same time. Do you get catharsis from your stuff? Um, it's an ongoing process, kind of, because kind of what you said as well. Yeah, the loop. Where, yeah, I mean, I get a, a sense of well-being from completing something, mm-hmm. but I think I would get that no matter... Um, but then there's always the next thing you got to do. I almost feel like your loop's getting more intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh... Is mine getting more uh, subdued and Robin's is getting more intense? I think yours is getting more tense. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Can you rub your shoulders a little bit? Just try to get that out. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I get less and less... Um, uh, as I get older, concerned about audience reaction. Yeah. Uh, and so I do find it frees me up a little bit. Uh, that's something about getting old. I think that's something about getting older. Is it getting older? I think or... that's true. You give a shit less and less in general, I think. Yeah, but everything. It's true of everyone, yeah. too. So that can only be good for an artist. Yeah. Or really bad. Or really bad. <laughs> Some people just fly completely That's off true. the rails. It's true. It's <laughs> nice to have rest- restraint can work against you and it can work for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it really depends what you're restraining. I can think of some Canadian cartoonists who kind of <laughs> flew off the rails a little bit. <laughs> uh, I have a list. Um, <laughs> how did you guys get connected? I don't know if we discussed that before. And if we did, it's been so long. I've completely forgotten. Through the mail, mini comics, trading mini comics through the mail. Fact sheet five. Fact sheet five. Yep. Mid nineties. So many of my people who I know that I've known for years have been because of like trading zines through the mail, or our comics, or Cinema Sewer, or something like that, bringing us together as a. I think I actually got Rebecca's comics first. That's right. Brains on toast. Yeah, brains on toast. Man, has it been that long? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Does what like ninety six? Yeah. Those when I very the very first mini comics I did were like ninety six, and he so was probably, a totally different artist when it, those first mini comics. 
Yeah. In fact, we had a, a little bit of a break there a couple of years or so um, where we didn't have any co- connection. We just did that initial kind of salvo of pen palling and trading and then no no contact. And then all of a sudden I got these comics from Josh and it was like he had made this giant leap forward in, the, in that time. And I almost didn't recognize the work. I was like, oh my God, this is the same guy. Wow, really? Yeah, so there was a real jump there. Hmm. And... Uh, well, th- that was just life experience, probably, because yeah. that was just I was in touch with you when I was in Connecticut, yeah, and then I started traveling, so that was probably why we weren't in touch, and yeah. I actually like learned a couple things for real, you know, and uh, yeah, that's interesting to hear. Hmm. Huh. Well, I'm sure I'm pretty sure the same thing happened with me too, where there was my really yeah my really early I can't even look at my early they're <laughs> 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 so I mean not even just because the art's bad, which it is. But the the storytelling techniques are so. Um, I feel like it looks almost like a caveman trying to uh, type a letter to somebody. You know what I mean? It's just like hit keys. Like I don't know. It's just like it doesn't even. I can't even believe people could read them. I was, it's amazing to me that I got any encouragement from anybody at all. <laughs> yeah, but it was good. I mean, we all we all like we we've all developed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But th- that's the funny thing because when a, people come to me now, and some like young artists and stuff, and they're like. You know, can you critique me and and um, that's the thing that you get like get to give out like some sort of positive, yeah thing. Focus on the strength. And I you think, I think about all the great things that people said to me that kept me from from quitting. Yeah, mm. and you got to try to pay that forward, right? And try mm. to encourage young artists so that they can make the the next step into um, you know using the art form, you know, to, as as a way of get some catharsis perhaps <laughs> god last time we'll ask about that <laughs> well do you do that or do you give them the tough love and well i try to go um I, I, as I, if they really want to do it it kind of isn't going to matter what somebody says well i compartmentalize I think it's good it to be bit. really honest yeah i'm really honest about it from a technical term mm-hmm. from a technical standpoint give them give them pointers from the way, the way they can improve technically mm-hmm. and then be really positive about about the emotional part of it uh-huh. I've gotten people write me like, hey, man, I just found your blog. You know, I'm thinking of getting into comics. I make movies and I take, like, fashion photography. I'm thinking of getting going to comics, make some money. Just, like, with them, I'm completely... Because obviously they're getting into it for the wrong reasons. (laughs) And they have no idea. Like, they've never done comics. They just, like, heard graphic novels were fashionable or something. So obviously that's the kind of person... I'm not mean, but I'm just like, this is what the world is like in a paragraph you know you got to really love this thing and you're not going to get much from it right <laughs> i i've said that too <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've heard from people who um want to start doing comics in the mid 40s i'm like it might not be the best career move <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if they want to do it just for themselves, it's like yeah. old retired ladies like painting. Miriam Katin started doing comics in her her first book. She was I think in her sixties or fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, she's got it going on. She's awesome. Her last book, uh, I can't really if it. She's doing great. well. Yeah, she's doing real well.
you said mm-hmm. and I'm really curious about it like when you did that did he kind of say I want this this and this or he just said it was basically whatever I wanted to do he has um that's kind of nice yeah it was basically yeah because he's that's what he's all about you know it's the same thing with putting my comics out or any comics he does like you know you're not really like edited at Fanographics, they just trust you. Like if they're gonna publish your stuff, then you kind of know what you're doing and you know what your what what your perspective is. And it was the same thing with the painting. So that yeah, that was fun because I've been in Seattle for about two months, and it took me about a month to paint that, just working on nothing else. Um, and I don't get to do a lot of paintings, so but I approach it kind of like. A comic or a movie like I just try to make every step of it like as fully realized as possible and there's always like a storytelling element so I wanted to give him something that like you could stare at for a while and there's a lot of relationships 
between things. Uh, yeah. That was a fun job. I'll you, take more commissions. <laughs> you've been advertising them on your, on your blogs and Tumblr's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten a fair amount of them basically since the furry trap came out. And I mostly get, like, requests for porn stars and monsters for some reason. But uh, the, the one for Gary was really fun because I, I could just do basically whatever I wanted to. Monstrous porn stars. Yeah, or porny monsters. <laughs> no, that it was a pretty, it was a pretty laid back piece. Like there wasn't really that much. Again, it's like the comics. Like there wasn't anything that graphic in it. Mm-hmm. It was more like ideas. Yeah, but I wanted it to be like the rainbow of kind of of uh, like emotions or experiences, like all in one piece. You know. Do you, do you get a lot of... I get a lot of half of my commissions are couples wanting me to do an illustration of them having sex together. <laughs> do you have? Do you get a lot of those? No, I wish. Oh, really? Send them my way. I'll yeah. do some of that. Okay. That would be fun. Do they it, send you photos and they them add it? Like... If they don't, I request it. Well, that's specific <laughs> to, like... That's specific to you because, like, that makes sense that people would send that to you. Yeah. But my, my stuff tends to be, like... Well, actually, your stuff is, like grotesque as well a lot of the time so it's way yeah <laughs> look at that splayed butthole <laughs> that is grotesque that's fun though that's great <laughs> didn't do that last uh, this week maxine and i got to, together maxine's my drawing buddy that i draw with every week and um we draw at a uh, local pool hall amongst the um the winos and the degenerates and uh, we find it's really um uh, adds a lot to our drawing uh, drawing in public experience and, um, and let's just be clear bougie drawing in public is like <laughs> well let's just say the, the page that we worked on this week was um it's just an entire page of a woman spreading her ass cheeks <laughs> and, a, and a man shouting at her while she's doing it well it sounds like you were working at different cafes and you finally found your home like the right place to do that's it that's what it was yeah all up in cool the main and Broadway area we were hitting different places but they were getting each one of them was getting too popular because it's a very trendy area and so we was we're finding a harder and harder time of getting a spot to sit and draw and so yeah we found this pool hall guys and dolls billiards at uh, Main and Broadway there and they've got these nice booths up in the front window and no one sits there and no one ever sits there hmm. for any reason <laughs> but it's still like front window on the street so people yeah. walking by could well, see if they wanted to peek in yeah they could <laughs> see that i've popped in and said hi when i saw them in there yep yep they have a uh, street fighter 2 game that's free in the back it's a free video game nice yeah. <laughs> one of the sides doesn't work very well so it's sometimes <laughs> fun to play against your friends when they think they're really good like oh hey play that side <laughs> they don't like beat their ass that. <laughs> i did that to brandon he wasn't happy <laughs> um you travel a lot back uh-huh. and forth across the country here uh-huh. and there, or just... Yeah, I have. Um, uh, this summer, so I was in Connecticut for about two years, which is always where I end up. That's my home state. And I go back there to kind of like um, save some money and get ready for the next trip out. And I drove back in late spring, I guess, cross country and I stopped at cake in Chicago on the way out which was which was fun I don't get to go to a lot of conventions but I met a lot of people there I haven't met before and uh yeah the goal was like 
the stopping point was Seattle because I have family there now and I'm friendly with some comics folks there. So yeah, I've traveled a lot, but I'm getting really tired of it. So kind of the goal this summer is like to travel a bunch and kind of like pick a place to stay for a while. And um, I don't know, could be anywhere. It could be Vancouver. It could be, it, it'll probably be Seattle, you know, um, because I don't know, like I said, I have family there and there's some, sounds like some pretty decent work opportunities there. And winter doesn't suck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah, it's perfect for, uh, comics people. The Northwest, like I just, yeah, the Northwest is fantastic. Like it was, I lived in Olympia, Washington. That was the first place I lived when I left Connecticut in the late nineties. And then I lived in Portland for about a year in 2007 and I just kind of keep coming back here. And every time I come back, I'm reminded of like, of how great it is. So yeah, and I've, I did live in Seattle for a short time in the late nineties, but it seems like a good, a good place to settle for a bit. I went to Connecticut a couple of years ago and it was really odd. I got like this weird vibe of like, it just felt like kind of run down like closed up factories mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a very enticing place to be like it kind of seems like the kind of place where people try to where I was where I went yeah specifically like, that's like the whole state but where I Connecticut is like the kind of stereotype about it is the gold coast you know like wealthy people who work in New York or there there are a lot of wealthy people along the coast but once yeah. you go in to the rest of the state it's like basically small towns and a lot of like mill towns and there's there's a very sort of there's something very kind of bleak about the state and it's also like a very new england thing and in a way it's it's a good place to be from if you do horror stuff because it's kind of a tradition like you know you have lovecraft in providence and stephen king up in maine and shirley jackson was in vermont and there's something specific to like a new england Hmm. experience which like Demonwood, I was living in LA when I drew that, but it was based on New England. You know, it was like that was the feel because I've done a lot of manual labor in New England, and there's just a certain kind of, you know, yeah, just bleak sort of. This is kind of drag that being in Connecticut can be. Yeah. <laughs> So you felt that. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, and it was Western Connecticut. Like, yeah. we went pretty far into there. And it was just this weird little small town. And yeah. It just didn't seem happy. Yeah. No, Connecticut's a fucking bleak shithole. <laughs> <laughs> um, you connected with, uh, we mentioned earlier, Oily, Oily Comics. Yeah. Chuck Forsman. And Chuck's in Massachusetts. Uh, how do you get connected with? him because i was kind of surprised when i saw him putting out your comics yeah he um he wrote me when i moved back out east because he was living i think in providence at the time and um i think he just wanted to hang out or something just meet up and uh i wasn't able to when he first got in touch with me but then about a year later i things were better so I got in touch with him and uh yeah and I think he just asked me to do something for Oily and it was kind of perfect because 
so the furry trap had been so much work and uh, it was just like months and months of like production and coloring all these older stories that um, my idea had actually been to, to do like a really like a king cat kind of thing like a really simple black and white zine because mm-hmm. it'd be a lot less work and just just to put something out and that's exactly what Chuck was doing and I'd rather I'm not good at like the business end of things and so he already kind of had this thing set up and I also love that he can sell comics for a dollar yeah. you know that's just a great <laughs> it's yeah it's just an awesome model and and he's doing well with it too so yeah so I was happy to do stuff with him and he's going to be doing more issues of habit I think so yeah I mean that'll it'll probably be like realistically it could be two years until the next issue because yeah. this one it was like two years worth of material um but I might just crank out the little minis when I have an, a hankering to put something out you know they're pretty nice I really like what he's doing yeah I like I still haven't read the whole end of the fucking world I'm looking forward to it <laughs> but uh Chuck's awesome I, lo- I like his comics. I like the way he's putting out comics. It's good stuff. Good company. Yep. Is there anything uh, in the near future we have to look forward from you? What am I doing? I've written... I have like 200 pages of comics completely written out, which I haven't had time to draw. The drawing end is a lot more work. It's hard to find the time and the space. And I've just been living in other people's houses for like years, for a couple years. So that's another good reason to like get settled, and um, we should probably make mention of your creepy story. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, because that just came out last week. Yeah, creepy, dark horse. Uh, That was because I'm friendly with Dean Haspiel, and he asked me to draw to write something that he would draw. And that was actually a good experience. Like I was kind of nervous about doing something with Dark Horse or that kind of comics world that there would be like a lot of editorial interference. But they just gave me a few notes, which were actually really helpful for the story. And um, you had to deal it's, with Philip Simon, right? No, Sorry. I dealt with um, okay. Sienna Han. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Brendan Wright. And it's basically like I was happy with the story. It's basically the kind of story I would do anyway at this point. I guess the only quibble I had with it was like I had to compress things a lot in terms of the storytelling, which was a fun exercise or an interesting exercise in a way. But having read it over after it was published, like I wouldn't really do a story like that. Like I feel like comics need more like kind of just more panels to let the story kind of breathe and and uh and i just have a little space to stretch out so it felt a little like too compressed or rushed or something yeah like uh is it jibbers jibblers jibblers is very yeah spread out movement it's all about things taking their time yeah sure to happen so like a good middle ground might be good between the two (laughs) (laughs) that was maybe a little too much Well, thank you, Josh, for taking the time. Sure. To come to, to bust a rhyme. Yes, sir. <laughs> work, work, work. Thank you, Robin Bushy, for joining us as mm, well. It was my pleasure. And uh, reminder, folks, Josh's latest book is Furry Trap, as well as Habit, number one, from Oily Comics, and Training and Fleet Corpse from Oily. And you can find more at, what's your Tumblr? JHS Comics. 
There we go. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Robin.